0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I'd like to remind you that uh, if you have time, visit WealthFormula.com. There are tons of resources there for you. And it's also the place where you can sign up for our, our various products such as newsletters uh, if you want to Sign up for Investor Club, which is for our accredited investors. It's also where you can potentially go uh, to sign up for Wealth Formula Network, which is our insider community uh, that has an opportunity to do a course with some very well na- very well known figures in the personal finance space, along with uh, a uh, an opportunity to join our online community of investors where we do bi-weekly zoom video calls. We also have a Facebook group, lots of fun wealth formula network. And if you want to go directly to that page, it's wealth, uh, wealth roadmap.com. Now, as far as today's show, uh, you know, um, so I have titled it charitable giving for profit and gain. And if you, listen to that you should be thinking to yourself well that's a little weird and it might be a little weird because if you are one of those people who is a true charitable type you might be thinking that's kind of yeah." It's a, i'm a little disgusted with this idea of charity for the uh, uh, for the purpose of profit and gain charity ought to be for your good deeds right for 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 why adulterate the whole thing and for you less charitable-minded, you hear charitable giving for profit and gain, you think, oh, good, I have a reason to actually listen to this show instead of skipping it. Well, it's good news, because it's all its all true, uh, and the truth is that charitable giving money is complicated. And for those of you who have done much of it already, you know there is an intangible benefit To it that you understand yourself, it's a little hard to explain, but you see several scientific studies, and um, you know from major institutions like you know Harvard Psychology Department, etc., have shown that giving money to charity actually makes you a happier person. So in that regard, charity is not entirely just charitable, right? In exchange for a monetary gift you are getting some kind of psychological gift in return in fact the one that everybody wants which is to be happy all i want to be is happy right of course uh giving can have a financial benefit as well you get a tax deduction every time you give and uh if you give enough you can be you know you could even drive yourself potentially down to a lower tax bracket and the next thing you know, the giving comes out even, and now you real really feel good, right? And that's the very basic charitable giving uh, economic uh, perspective. But obviously, there are a lot more levels of complexity used by the ultra-wealthy for tax and social benefits as well. You have already seen leveraged charitable giving in the form of conservation easements. You've heard about that um, through our friend Jim Sullivan. Uh, And although they are, you know, conservation easement type uh, charity is not without controversy. You see the likes of Ted Turner and Donald Trump utilizing them um, to their full extent because they can be also very profitable or at least, you know, mitigate significant amount of taxes because you're giving instead. A charity, as it turns out, has its own complexity uh when it comes to higher levels of personal finance though and you have probably heard of words terms like charitable remainder trusts and other vehicles and you're like well I don't know what that is but you've heard it uh and you've heard these vehicles are being used by the ultra wealthy uh to legally avoid estate taxes so you know it's out there these strategies though uh as you might imagine are complicated and I can't say frankly that this is something that I'm uh, I consider myself well versed in. Uh, it's not an area that I think of myself as um, you know the way I am in say multifamily real estate or, or uh, investing dynamics in general that it's not my sweet spot. However, uh, these strategies, the more you learn about them, you realize, man, that is really powerful. and um, in reality, uh, they tend to apply to people who are, um, you know, uh, who have built up their net worth a little bit more, you know, uh, and, uh, might, might, uh, you know, might uh, benefit from some of these things, but, uh, don't be surprised if you're one of those people pretty soon. I mean, listen, if you're investing in all the stuff we do in investor club, uh, you're, you know, you have a good chance of of really creating a lot of wealth for yourself. And I mean, and not just through Investor Club, but, you know, uh, if you're doing the things that we talk about this show. Anyway, for that reason, I invited Jerry Borrowman on Wealth Formula Podcast this week. And Jerry's one of those guys who really understands the nuances of all this stuff, which is frankly, I can say that, you know, even people who deal with the ultra high net worth Uh, 99% of those advisors out there have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to this kind of thing. And it's really, really interesting stuff. And you know what? It very well could apply to you. It could apply to you now and it could uh, very well apply to you 10, 15 years from now. So these are the kinds of things you want to plant in your head and put in your back pocket for when you need them. So when we come back, going to have jerry borrowman and actually we're going to have rod zabriskie from wealth formula banking too because i needed an interpreter so right after these messages worried about saving too little too late for retirement these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast, well, actually I have two of them, but uh, the primary guest that I have is uh, Jerry Borrowman, who's a Director of Advanced Solutions at Cambridge Financial Advisors. He's a Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant. He's a Chartered Advisor Philanthropy and Life Underwriter Training Council Fellow. So in other words, he knows his way around financial and insurance products pretty darn well. In fact, uh, there's probably not a whole lot that he doesn't know when it comes to charitable giving and strategies um, of enhancing estate planning. Um, You know, this is a complicated topic, and it was one that— Christian Allen and, and rod Zabrisky of wealth formula banking our partners over there um, suggested that might be good for for our uh, audience however I have to say that there is some levels of complexity here that um, that I think that I asked Rod to join us so Rod uh, rod Zabrisky is on too rod if you would give us a sort of a little bit of a uh, you know introduction to why you thought this would be a good conversation for our audience and, and the perspective that they should approach it.
1: Sure. And, and maybe I can start out by uh, giving a little more of an intro for Jerry. Uh, so the kind of all the titles and all those kinds of things maybe speak for themselves. But but for Christian and me, we've, we've worked with Jerry for a long time. Christian, maybe 13, 14 years. And, and for me, it's been about 10 years. And Jerry's been a, a teacher and a mentor, really a go-to for, for advanced planning uh, concepts. And one of the things that that makes him what he is is that I, I think of him like as a serial researcher, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, when when he wants to dive in and understand something, he he's amazing at doing that and just really getting into all the intricacies. And he's seen it from a lot of different angles, not just as a as a, you know, an advisor helping individuals with their own estates, but but he's he's been in house at at you know insurance companies, including New York Life, for years and. And so he's seen it from, from many different angles and, and just so many different uh, situations where it, it can apply. So, uh, so really where this, this all came together, uh, Buck, was not too long ago we were talking about just the whole concept of, of estate planning and how charitable planning might might fit into that. And immediately, you know, Jerry's name came to mind because he has been our go-to when it comes to, to this type of planning and and really helping people uh, whether it's primarily driven from a tax standpoint, or or whether they you know really are uh, you know charitable oriented, and and they really want to build foundations or other things like that that will really f- perpetually uh, help uh, you know humanity, and yeah. so that's, that's kind of how this all evolved and, yeah. and came to, to today.
0: Well, and there's obviously some profit and and things like that as well uh, that that are. Um you know, financially beneficial from these things. But anyway, Jerry, I've um, uh, kind of left you out of this. So first of all, welcome. Thanks for, for being on the show. Glad to be here. Um, so let's start with this question. So why do families, um, you know, with considerable wealth, use charitable giving tools uh, to reduce their estate tax?
2: So the estate tax applies to a very small segment of society now. Uh, one out of every 1,000 estates will actually have to write a check. More would have to write the check if they did not use charitable giving tools. So one of the things that has been helpful to me in understanding charitable giving is the concept of social capital. And essentially what happens is the federal government has said people who achieve and accumulate great wealth have an obligation to contribute to society. I was at a meeting once where Bill Gates' father, Bill Gates Sr., spoke he's an estate planning attorney in seattle and he said we estimate that about 30 to 40 percent of the value of microsoft is directly attributable to the fact that it was founded here in the united states where we have effective uh, uh, infrastructure where we have a community that's supportive of that so we feel like we should give back well congress has said there's two ways that you can do that number one is you can pay an estate tax Money goes to the federal government. It helps build all those uh, infrastructure and other things that are helpful. The second is, is you can give money to charities of your choice, and for every dollar that goes to charity, we will reduce the estate tax by an equal dollar. So, really, the estate tax is a voluntary tax, something that you pay only if you choose to, because there are other ways to direct your money. I suppose one of the big questions is, what about the kids? I think we'll talk about that yeah. more later.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's it's funny. You're nice about it. I've heard other people call the estate tax the stupid tax, too, because it's one of those things that if you plan ahead, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, as, it's not that difficult to avoid. You know, and, and some people are thinking to themselves, well, gosh, you know, uh, this estate tax is really for the ultra ultra high net worth. We're, we're, I mean, so we've got some limitations and those are dropping. Can you just remind us what the estate tax would affect
2: Yeah, sure. So right now, there's an $11.5 million exemption per person. So you pay no estate tax unless your estate is greater than that at the time of your death. means that a husband and a wife can be at about $23 million. That will hold until 2026, when the law that was passed by the Republicans two years ago sunsets and will drop to one-half that amount, or about $11.5 million for a couple. I think it is important to say, too, Buck, that um charitable giving impacts both the estate tax, which falls on a small number of people, but it also affects income tax planning, which falls on almost all people. Right. And so these are tools that can be helpful regardless of your net worth.
0: Got it. So when you think about this, I guess the from a financial perspective, beyond the social capital and the, the things that you talked about that obviously, you know, people think about uh in terms of giving uh but for the less charitable <laughs> don't charitable gifts reduce the amount of money available to family beneficiaries
2: yes of course they do because if you give money to a charity it's less money to go to your kids except for this paradox if by eliminating the estate tax or by substantially reducing your income tax you can by giving money to a charity you can use that to purchase life insurance that is also tax-free to the kids. And in many cases, you can give more money to your kids income tax-free while giving money to charity instead of the government. And for those people who think the 535 people in Congress are not as effective at directing um, social welfare as the charity of your choice, that's a good solution to increase the inheritance to the kids while decreasing taxes paid to the government.
0: So this, you said something I think that kind of perked me up and probably perked some others out there up. The idea of um, basically, uh, you know, using the life insurance uh, as a way to create additional income. Um, Rod, maybe this is a question for you. Uh, Is that one of the benefits of say, a, a banking, uh, banking, how, how, how would like wealth formula banking or, you know, some of the, the, um, you know, the, the over, uh, le- the overfunded insurance policies fit into that concept. Can you kind of fill in that gap a little bit?
1: Well, as it relates to the fact that they are life insurance, then, then they can fit, right? So, um, when when Jerry refers to life life insurance planning inside of this larger charitable planning charitable giving uh, concept, really it can come in a lot of different forms. And so, depending on the situation and the individuals and what we're what are we ultimately trying to accomplish, that will lead us toward what solution would make sense as far as the life insurance vehicle, how you how you fund it, and how it's used over time, whether it's while they're still living or or ultimately, like he referred to a minute ago, when it's when it's that Income tax free, passing along, and obviously, if you do it right, then the estate tax free, uh, passing along the wealth to the kids. What do
0: you, is there advantages of uh, any advantages here that you actually have while you're living if you stu- if you do this kind of thing? Or, I mean, o- outside uh, of uh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: Yeah, so th- there's advantages both while you're alive and while you're dead. Uh, when, of course, <laughs> no advantages to the dead person. <laughs> But to their family and the right. society, there are. Yeah. By the way, we need to point out that the current estate tax law was passed primarily by a Republican controlled Senate and House. If the Democrats were ever to take control of those again, you might see the estate tax limits drop. So, good estate tax planning should be done all along the way, recognizing that there is change in Congress. Let's talk about the uh, income tax consequences of giving. So, for example, I graduated from the American College of Financial Services in Philadelphia a number of years ago. That's where I got my master's degree in financial services. I had dinner with the president of the college one night and I was talking about a presentation I'd taken on the road that shows the effective ways to use life insurance to maximize a charitable gift. And I'm not a person who's subject to the estate tax. And so as I'm talking this up, he says, well, Jerry, why don't you do that for us? And I said, why? He says, well, if this is such a great idea, why don't you uh, uh, donate a policy on your life to the American college? So I looked at it and here's the way the math works out. And it's actually the opposite of the banking strategy because we wanted to create a policy that has virtually no cash value, but a high death benefit relative to premiums paid. For a one-time payment of $15,000, I was able to create and fully fund a $100,000 policy that is owned by the the school that I went to. I was able to deduct the $15,000. So my after tax cost was about 10,000. So for 10 cents on the dollar, I was able to create a $100,000 endowment for a charity that means something to me. I believe in education and financial services. So that's a way that I was able to use an income tax deduction to create a benefit for an institution. Well, and you were
0: able to, you were, you were also able to leverage that, which is really interesting because I mean, even though you weren't able to take, you know, a hundred thousand uh, dollar, uh, deduction, which would be ideal, right? Um, you were, you were able to create a hundred thousand dollars of giving future giving out of simply, you know, effectively cast the, uh, uh, tax, uh, equivalent of $10,000.
2: Exactly. Right. Hmm. There, there's other tools. Um, let me go a little deep here. Yeah. with One tool that's kind of, suppose it's one of your listeners owns a business and it's highly appreciated. So they paid, let's uh, imagine that it's a car dealership and their basis in the car dealership is half a million dollars and it's now worth $10 million. So they're going to sell this. They would owe tax on nine and a half million dollars of capital gains potential taxes, 20% federal in here in Utah where I live, 5% state, plus there's a 3.5% Obamacare surtax. So of the um, approximately $9.5 million, they're going to lose 23, 28, one-third of that to taxes, roughly $3 million. If instead of that, uh, Buck, they were to contribute the business first, to a charitable remainder trust that they create. So they're the grantor of a trust, they contribute their business, they sell the business inside the trust, they owe zero capital gains. Because the ultimate beneficiary of the sale proceeds will be either a single charity or multiple charities, may even be a, a foundation that they create in the name of their own family. So they just saved $3 million in taxes during their life. While the money sits in that trust, as long as the husband and wife are alive, they can take income from that trust for the rest of their lives. So instead of earning income on, and I know I'm doing a lot of math here in a, without the benefit of a whiteboard, but we started out at $10 million, we would have had $7 million if they had sold it and paid the tax. But instead of that, we have $10 million to invest. We've increased their income for the rest of their life by 30%. We've eliminated the estate tax. Now, what do we do about the kids? Well, it turns out that in addition to the sale of the asset without capital gains, they get an income tax deduction, depending on the rates, of approximately $300,000. The income tax savings is going to come in at $100,000. With $100,000 in income tax savings, we could help them craft a life insurance policy owned outside their taxable estate, to provide a tax-free benefit to their beneficiaries. So if you follow all of that, I have a business, I'm gonna sell it. Normally i lose 30% to taxes. I lose nothing to taxes. Number two, I'll pay no estate tax on it. Number three, I'll have income on 10 million in principal instead of 7 million for the rest of our lives. And number four, I'll take care of my children using the income tax savings on that gift. You know, I said they're wrong. The income tax savings would be deductions of approximately three million, so that would give us the money that we need to buy a life insurance policy. The kids would get ten. The charity would get ten. The family would live off of an extra three million of capital. We have saved income taxes and estate taxes, and everybody comes out ahead except the federal government.
0: How, can you repeat the one part I didn't get there? And and um, is is how the how the kids still end up with With money, who the insu- life insurance policy is it on the business owner or you know how how does that work exactly? how are they how are the kids still ending up with uh, an inheritance at that point if if the business was given away?
2: I would be very glad to uh, to restate that. So if Mom and dad sell the business anyway, the kids are going to inherit cash, right? Right? Whatever mom and dad don't spend between the time they sell the business and when they die. And we know that it's down by 30% because of the taxes. Instead of that, they've contributed to the trust. They've sold it. They've paid zero capital gains. And they get a deduction of anywhere between 30 to 60% of the $10 million to apply against their income taxes for the next six years. Mm-hmm. So let's take a $3 million tax uh, deduction Every year for the next six years, they can write off write off up to 60% of their income. And it's that tax savings from those tax savings that we use to pay the premiums on a six pay life insurance policy. So, so they're just using income tax mm-hmm. savings to buy a life insurance policy. It insures mom and dad, it's called a survivorship policy. And that would give us um, savings of about 150,000 a year times six. We could easily buy on most people a, an 8 to $10 million policy that's fully paid up at the end of six years. Uh, it's owned by a trust for the benefit of the kids. It will mature at the death of the parents, income tax free and estate tax free. And that's how they get the money that they would have gotten had they waited for their parents after the sale of the business.
0: Does the um, Does the business have to sell first in order for all this to be triggered?
2: no, actually you don't want to sell the business before it happens. There's a very strict sequence of events that needs to be followed, which is why I will say this. You started out by saying this is sort of a complicated area of of planning. It really is. And so you need to follow a very specific procedure to do it. The first is you create the trust. You can have no uh, signed paperwork that you're going to sell the business. The second is that you transfer ownership of the business to the trust. Now, by the way, this is one place in the tax code where the creator of the trust, called a grantor, can also be the trustee to manage the money once it's in the trust. So if I'm the guy who owns the business, today I operated as Jerry Borrowman, sole owner of the company. After the gift, I operated as Jerry Borrowman, trustee of the Gerald J. and Marcella Borrowman Charitable Remainder Trust. Um, I then arranged for the sale after The trust has been created, but we don't want to push it off too far in the future because you really don't want to be operating a business. Um, The the intent is to sell it without capital gains. I negotiate the sale as trustee. I'm acting on behalf of myself and the future charitable beneficiaries. Could be a university, could be a church, could be a health uh, care system. Any 501c3 charity is eligible. And, and I sell the business, file a tax return, I pay zero capital gains. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the sequence of events.
0: Got it. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned a couple times charitable um, uh, remainder trust. Can you define what that is for everyone just for clarity?
2: Sure. So it turns out that the tax code does have a lot of definition around charitable giving because there's a potential for abuse. So there are a limited set of tools that are available, And most are called split interest gifts. So think about splitting something into two parts. In the case of a direct contribution to a charity, if I write a check to my church this year, I write the check, I get an immediate deduction, the charity has control of the money from that point forward, I have no retained interest in an immediate gift. In a split interest gift, the IRS says we're going to have two beneficiaries. One is a charity and one is the person who created the gift. So in the case of a charitable remainder trust, I've given the business away, I've sold it, I retain a life income from that business, either for myself or for my wife and myself. That's the split. I own the income from the trust for as long as I live, the charity gets the remainder. There's an exact opposite of that called a charitable lead trust. And by the way, the charitable lead trust is the nuclear option of estate planning this is how you can eliminate the estate tax you could have a hundred billion dollar estate and with the charitable lead trust eliminate the estate tax completely in that case i create a trust and i provide income to the charity that's the split for a period of time typically 10 to 15 years at the end of that time the remainder is goes to my children but free of estate tax So this is a way, suppose I wanted to pass the business on to the kids instead of cash, I would use a charitable lead trust to accomplish that while eliminating the estate tax.
0: Interesting. Yeah, okay, got it. And then, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. So, um, uh, uh, well, you talked about a a direct gift. That's the alternative, right? Um, Right. Let's talk about the risks in terms of, you know, I mean, all of this, uh, as we've talked about, is uh, fairly complex. And I'm sure the government, uh, the IRS, uh, they probably don't like the fact that even though there's these laws and estate taxes, um, that there are ways to fairly, fairly easily circumvent them. So what are the risks when it comes to this kind of stuff?
2: So my belief is if you have very capable legal advice that, that's familiar with these tools, if you create a charitable lead trust, a charitable remainder trust, a donor advised fund, things that are very well defined in the code, the risk is very small. There's not gonna be a tax court case named after you. What we do see in the, in the uh, planning community that I personally am opposed to is that people will try to come up with step transactions where I'm giving the money away and yet through tax-free loans from the charity, I'm able to get the money back that I gift. And so I'm really tax laundering the money. I saw one recently where there were four steps. I give money to a charity. The charity creates an investment company and puts all of the money that I donate into that investment company. The investment company then loans me money tax-free. So if I gave a million dollars, I get a million dollars back as a loan. The investment grows over the years when I die we use life insurance to pay it off, but I really never parted with the property, mm-hmm. and so the IRS would go after something like that pretty aggressively. Sure. So it, it's if if you stick within the, the guidelines, there's very little risk. If you want to wander out and try to do something different, then there is substantial risk.
0: I want to focus a little bit on the idea. You know, you said that there, you know, that the family be- beneficiaries can really come out ahead. Um, and going back to the idea that if you're giving something away, how can, you know, your family be better off? Can you give us some actual, you know, can you elaborate on that and maybe give us some examples?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, so the one that we've already talked about is a charitable remainder trust. I've given my business away. I've sold it. The money's going to go to a charity. When I die, I use tax savings to buy a life insurance policy. Typically you'll use a second to die policy where you're paying the least possible premium for the most death benefit because it's an inheritance replacement policy. But that's not the only way you can do it. In the case of a charitable lead trust, where I'm trying to transfer an appreciated asset to my kids at a discount, the problem is is that if I die during the term of the lead while money's going to the charity, the full asset comes back into my estate. So we buy life insurance to pay the estate tax during that 10-year period of time where we're exposed to taxes. A third way that people can do it is uh, is you can use it to fund the, the trust once they're created. And then I gave you an example of an amplified gift to a charity, someone that I care about, using a, a one-time payment. You could do that with ongoing payments. Um, and so these are some of the ways that you can can use it. The whole idea is I've been in the life insurance business coming up on 42 years. And if if you show people how a life insurance policy works and ask if they'd like that, they almost always say yes. When you ask people generally, do you like life insurance? They say no. And the reason of course, is it's paying for the life insurance policy. Right. So we like what it does, but we don't like paying for it. What the charitable strategies do is help us find tax dollars to help buy the life insurance that is going to either help us during our life with cash values or help our family after we die.
0: So in, in a nutshell, what does this sort of all mean?
2: So think about this. Um, My uncle Merle, Merle Borrowman was a professor at the university of Wisconsin, Madison. And then he became Dean of the school of education at, Uh, Berkeley. When he died, a group of his former students put up money to create the Merle-Borrowman Center at the University of Wisconsin because they admired him. So this gave him some kind of immortality. Using the tools that we've talked about, including life insurance, allows family to expand their reach in the community. So for example, one way that you can do that, Buck, is Suppose that, that we are giving a large gift at my death to uh University of Utah, million dollars. We're going to put that in what's called a donor advice fund. The University of Utah will receive the funds, but they'll allow me to give my children to give advice on how to direct the money that's created every year on that, and they can give some to the university, but they can also give to the United Way of Salt Lake City. They can give to... Um, camps that help children with blindness, all sorts of things. Well, in each of those cases, the money's coming from our family to those charities. My children are gonna sit on their boards because they'll be invited to that because of this substantial gift. And so the way a family builds influence in the community is by using these tools to amplify their personal connections as well as do something that's very satisfying. So a lot of families will, assign a grandchild or a child, they'll say, this year the income from our trust is gonna distribute $25,000. You get to be responsible for choosing a charity for $5,000 of that. Now you've got a child who is is going out and searching out the charities and trying to figure out which ones matter. This becomes a great way to transfer values and uh, ideals from one generation to the next. Yeah. So I hope what you're getting out of this uh, is this. Charitable giving is good for charities. It's good for families, and it's not particularly good for the government. But they've said it's okay. They like charities too, and most importantly, it's a way to create values that become important to a family.
0: Got it, um, Rod. What do you can you What do you, uh, if anything, what what would you like to add or you know point out specific maybe to your experience with the kind of. Uh, kind of people we have as listeners.
1: Yeah. So maybe one thing I'll I'll hit on first is that uh, Jerry used a few examples of, of uh, ways that we can fund these Um, highly appreciated assets of of all sorts can be used, right? Jerry. So you used an example of a business. What if it was a piece of real estate or, or stock or other things like
2: that? Yeah. So, so all kinds of things can be used to create these charitable gifts. The one caveat that I would say because I just feel like I need to, you should never give a gift that is indebted because that creates something called unrelated business taxable income, Mm. and it can make everything in the charity taxable. So the nature of the gifts have to be carefully considered, Uh, but you can give appreciated real estate, you can give an appreciated business, you can give an appreciated stock. Let's talk for a minute for the people who don't really want to create an ongoing legacy, but want to give a a gift today, one strategy that can save people a great deal of income taxes right off the bat is this. Suppose that I want to give $20,000 to a charity this year and and I will get a deduction for that amount because it's under 60%. If I have some stock in my brokerage account that is appreciated in value, I can sign over $20,000 worth of the stock and get my same $20,000 deduction but if I have a low basis in that stock, say $2,000, I escape paying uh capital gains tax on the appreciation. So, so these strategies work for everybody. Um, it, it's just, it's just understanding what's available and how to use them in a specific situation.
0: Got it. Got it. Anything else from your side, Ron? Uh,
1: maybe the last thing I'd say is just that the, you know, based on the people that, that we've talked to and work with us far, uh, we have a lot of people that, that I think are maybe not necessarily in that, in that boat of, of, you know, especially at this point being above that, uh, $23 million mark, um, but, but are on the fast track to building wealth and, and certainly by 2026, or like you said, maybe sooner if, uh, if the Democrats take control and, and maybe some of those, uh, exclusions change, then, uh, They will be very quickly, I think, in a camp that that it could matter. And so I think maybe some of the sequencing that that Jerry talked about, if today it isn't a priority or or at least a a fit to to start taking action immediately, at least understanding uh, some of the the pieces and and needing to get them into place in the right sequence is critical because if you're at the point where you want to sell your practice and uh, you already have a buyer, then it's... It's going to be too late to use some of those tools that, that Jerry's referring to. But if you know you want to sell and you're at the very front end of that and you get engaged in the process before you find a buyer, that alone uh, can, can make all the difference in, in terms of the types of tools that you can use. Got it.
0: Um, guys, I really do appreciate the time here. Um, obviously, uh, most people. Or listening already know uh, Rod probably through Wealth Formula Banking and uh, you can get in touch through uh, to Rod uh, you know by uh, going to WealthFormulaBanking.com and see all the stuff we've done there. It's also uh, Rod at WealthFormulaBanking.com but also Jerry if people want to talk to you in more detail about these strategies um, you know and, and I will say this that I think when I think about um, the when, when that estate tax splits and knowing where a lot of our listeners are, especially in our investor group, you know, if they're at already at four or five million and they're in their you know, 40s and 50s, uh, you're going to get there pretty quick, especially sure. with some of the, the things that we're doing on the investment side. Um, and if they want to talk to you, Jerry, uh, how do they get a hold of you?
2: So the way that I would prefer is to go through Rod and Christian. Uh, I'm going to act as their backstop in this. So initiate the conversation with them. I'm happy to talk to people directly. I just like it to come by referral from,
0: yeah. from Rod and it also makes sense honestly just from the from the standpoint of understanding kind of what our I, I like to have an interpreter sometimes in these types of things. And in fact that's why I brought Rod on. Because uh, you know, you're you're trying to connect, you know, where our current situation is you know, with our people, with, you know, with with some of the higher level stuff that you're doing. So that sounds great. So um, if you're interested uh, in anything that Jerry talked about, we're uh, obviously, you know, the standard stuff with Rod and Christian and, and Wealth Formula Banking. Uh, reach out to Rod and Christian um, or shoot me an email at, at com, and I will connect you. Uh, Jerry, Rod, thanks again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today.
2: Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks,
0: Buck. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Jerry is a very knowledgeable guy, and it was great to have Rod Zabriskie from Wealth Formula Banking there as well. By the way, you should check out WealthFormulaBanking.com for these products that we call Wealth Formula Banking, Velocity Plus, uh, and for you ultra-high net worth types, we something we call Velocity Plus Plus. Anyway, check those out. Go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Check out those webinars very, very powerful techniques, um, at the very least, Oh, as far as the techniques that Jerry go, Jerry barman's talking about there for people who are, you know, probably a little bit more, uh, far along, but I want to emphasize though, that don't be surprised if you invest and you invest the right way, you can build up that net worth pretty darn fast. Let me give you an anecdote. I think this is absolutely fascinating. Okay. So, there, uh, as as many of you know, we we deal with a um, a group uh, we we partner with a company uh, all the time. I won't name that company right now, but if you're in Investor Club, which you should sign up for if you're an accredited investor, uh, you uh, you know who I'm talking about. But they have this incredible uh, model. It's called the Infinite Returns Model. And so what you do is you put money in and eight. Every 18 months or so, you're getting refis of some kind. And then you, you know, re-put in your money and, you know, the average annualized returns on the opportunities are like 30%, right? But that's not even return on capital because in between these deals, you're getting refis and you're redeploying the same capital and recycling capital over and over and over again. So there was one person who was in every single one of these uh, deals for the last six years. And during that time, uh, deployed $750,000 of his own money, which, you know, over six years, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's probably something that many of you can do. It's over a little bit over $100,000 per year. <laughs> so he goes minimum investment in every one of these deals. But because of that velocity which we talk about, which I talk about ad nauseum, frankly, and hopefully you get it. Wealth equals mass times velocity, um, times leverage, right? And, um, this guy puts in 750 grand, um, during the course of the six, six and a half years. And that 750 grand is now worth $4 million. Okay. That's true story. And that's not, uh, of course that, You know, that doesn't mean that's going to happen to everybody. But the point is that if you follow the math and if you do it right, you can, you know, you can potentially really grow your money very, very quickly. Uh, You know, you just look at this time of the year and you're like, man, I made this much money, but so much of it's going into taxes and stuff. It's really, really hard to save yourself into wealth. You got to invest. Anyway, um, that's it uh, for me this week. I do want to uh, I do want to invite those of you who are interested in taking it to the next level and joining us in our private network to Wealth Formula Network. Check that opportunity out, wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Chaffrey signing off.
2: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at
0: wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.